Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 102, we discuss a huge weekend of soccer viewing in the US, with five games averaging more than one million viewers. John Champion bids farewell to the Premier League, our thoughts on the MLS Cup final and the TV rating, and we have a bunch of letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, it's been it's been a crazy week of soccer. Um, I, I don't know about you, but in terms of everything that's gone on since the last podcast, uh, we had what we had the uh, of course we had some big games in the Premier League. We had the, the Fan Fest. We had the MLS Cup final. We had the River Boca final in the Copa Libertadores. We had uh, Liga MX. Uh, the semi-finals, uh, now we know who's going to be uh, playing in the final. This is recording this Thursday, uh, the first match is tonight. So, and then of course the Champions League and uh, Turner Sports sending people over to, um, to Spain to uh, commentate that game. A lot to get into. Um, where would you like to start? Well, for me, I, I had a, a Fox-heavy weekend. For, for me personally, maybe the most important match uh, was on Friday. It was Bremen and Fortuna Dusseldorf. I cleared my schedule to watch this match, knowing Josh Sargent, uh, the American phenom. And I don't get as excited about young Americans. I think it's people who know me know this um, as others, including Pulisic. I mean, I still have some skepticism about Pulisic long term as a um, as as the kind of superstar, global superstar, so many Americans have made him out to be. Uh, but Sargent has something about him that I, I've noticed. So I was real excited about this and 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 watched this match. On Fox, um, he gets on, he scores within two minutes. Uh, uh, yes, it was a bit of a sitter. Uh, but, <laughs> that, that had to be the, uh, the luckiest goal I've ever seen in my life. Well, no, it wasn't the luckiest goal. <laughs> well, as far as the goalkeeper, it hit, hit his shoulder. The goalkeeper had no idea where it went. The ball go, goes up flying. Positionally-wise, yeah, he was in the right place at the right, right time. But, but. but that's something That's something that I noticed in the, the 15, 20 minutes he was on the, uh, on the pitch. He almost scored another goal. Is that, and this is why I'm so excited about this kid. I, I think I watch football a lot differently than most Americans do. Um, his positioning sense, the runs I've seen him make off the ball when playing for the national team and the youth national teams, the um, 
the, 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 the composure when he gets a touch on the ball are some things I, you don't normally see in American players. Yeah, I guess Pulisic does have it. I think Michael Bradley was a guy that, that had it. That's going to cause all kinds of uh, anger on this podcast. But in terms of actual uh, attacking players, number nines, I don't think we've had a guy quite uh, with that skill set, maybe since Eric went all there. And Brian McBride was fantastic, did a lot through hard work. Uh, Josie Altator had has had gaps in his his game, so um, that's why I was excited about this. I cleared my schedule, watched this match in its entirety, taped Juve Inter, which was going on at the same time, uh, and watched this. Juve Inter was a good match. Uh, watched down on the DVR. ESPN becoming very comfortable in Serie A. Um, and there was an ESPN FC program leading into the into the match because it was such a big match. Uh, Inter uh, disappointing. They were disappointing in Champions League midweek. Um, Schalke Dortmund I watched, uh, which was a big hype uh, derby, obviously because of the two Americans, in, in addition to being one of the biggest derbies in Europe, uh, McKinney versus Pulisic. Uh, McKinney was very good. Pulisic played for one minute. Um, so there's the gap in, in playing time for those guys now. Keith um, Costigan and Jovan Karofsky were fantastic. Obviously, Jovan Karofsky's played in this derby, uh, understands the culture around it. Keith Costigan becoming one of the premier voices of football in this country, even though Fox doesn't give him the sort of exposure they probably should on other events. Um, very, very good broadcast. So I'm thinking, that's a good weekend for Fox, right, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yes, good start. Point, good start. W- Women's World Cup draws next. I, I watched that, and it was unwatchable after 20 minutes. I, I, I start tweeting, Hi, what do I do about this? People suggest, hey, just watch FIFA stream on YouTube. So I did that. It turned Fox off. Well, um, I, I missed it, Kartik, so I, I didn't see the Women's World Cup draw. Um, and actually on Friday, I think I watched some other matches too. I, I watched the um, Sheffield United against West Brom game, I think, which which was a really, really entertaining. Actually, no, it wasn't. It was uh, West Brom against, oh gosh, I forgot who it was now. Aston Villa. Aston Villa, yeah, the derby. Hand of God. Which on champion. So I watched that one. So that was the 2-2 draw. I really enjoyed that one. But the World Cup draw for the women, I missed it. So why was it so bad? What, what was bad about it? It was just all uh, very kind of clunky production, loud uh, graphics, and then talk about the United States. Everything was based on the United States. And, and the women's game, okay, the U.S. is at the top of the women's game, but the women's game is more competitive than ever. And I thought, you and I commented on this a few years ago, that Fox's 2015 Women's World Cup coverage wasn't as jingoistic as we thought it would be until the very end of the tournament remember Mm -hmm. um but it seems like they're starting early with the draw so i look it's just again personal preference a lot of people like that they're driven to the women's game because of the women's national team u.s women's national team i get that um they're catering to that fan base but i I was able to watch it on youtube telemundo was broadcasting it also uh i was told as a lead-in uh instead of doing a pregame to uh uh pre-match chelsea man city they were they were uh, broadcasting the draws as, as the as the lead in, so uh, I could have watched it there as well. Uh, but it was just classic Fox, which continued uh, Chelsea Man City. I watched on NBC. Uh, we can talk about that in a little more detail later. Uh, but then MLS Cup, Chris. Um, I, I just Fox's production. Now, now, now we're going to talk about their production rather than their actual on-air talent. Uh, their production. Uh, and level of presentation. It just doesn't have the same feel as an event on ESPN or NBC or even now on Turner. I mean, I, I, I'm impressed when I watch Turner's pregame show about how much more – the first few weeks were a shambles, right? But how much more 
professional it seems the graphics are timed properly you know things like that com- compared to fox I-, I just thought it was a very embarrassingly low level production for such a big event and an event that got such good ratings of uh, you know we can talk about the match we can talk about john strong's and Stuart holden's call we can we can nitpick at that stuff but i just fox still i don't know if it's if it's budget, Chris, or if it's just commitment level or not understanding things, but their their production teams are just not at the same level, at least from what we can see on the output uh, as the other networks. So, so some listeners may faint, but I, I didn't think Fox's coverage was that bad. I, I guess I was going in with low expectations, especially with the corner uh, flag cam and thinking about, okay, how bad is this going to be? Where they're going to focus on, on silly things that, that don't need focusing on. I didn't think it was that bad. From a production point of view, um, yes, there were issues in terms of the camera crews kind of really zooming in too closely to uh, the play, and and you weren't able to see what was happening kind of on the fringes of that. My guess is is probably they were using a whole bunch of NFL or even college football uh, cameramen uh, in the stadium who were not used to, to shooting soccer, so that wasn't good. The the other issue I had with it was that... Um, and, and this is in contrast now to the Premier League Fan Fest on NBC Sports. But any time something uh, amazing happens, maybe it was a goal or some incredible uh, save, whatever it may, may have been, what happened was that on Fox, they would zoom in on this platform and there would be like three people on the platform standing in front of, of the crowd. So you'd see maybe somebody holding a flag or uh, two girls or two women kind of high-fiving each other uh, when they scored a goal. And to me, I was like, it, it, it didn't, it wasn't that exciting. I was like, why do you zoom in on this platform of, of three people standing, just jumping up for joy, but show the crowd, show, show the fans going crazy. And, and that's in complete contrast to the Premier League Fan Fest because any time something major happened in, in, in any of those games, um, NBC would zoom back into that crowd. So, Chelsea scores, you know, and at halftime they show the, the highlights of Chelsea scoring, and you see like like two hundred or three hundred Chelsea fans just going crazy, absolutely crazy, jumping up, up for joy, or even for Spurs or Man City. You you get that, you mean capture that emotion and that celebration and that pure joy. And with Fox, it was strange. Like, why why are you showing these three people standing on this platform? Yes, the crowd's behind it, but you, you, you're focusing on the wrong things. But overall, Kartik, I thought it wasn't that bad. The interesting oh, no, thing... The commentators were fine. I mean, my issue... Thank you for pointing that out, Chris. The camera work, I was going to get to that. The camera work was a disaster. The, well, the interesting thing, I mean, pre-match, I'd like to get your take on this one, where they had the uh, really short interview with Greg Berhalter uh, pre-match. And I, it was weird, Kartik, because I don't know if uh, Greg Berhalter was nervous uh, but it seemed to be like very kind of Rob Stone was touchy feely, kind of like patting him on the shoulder, kind of like touching him. And Moa do would do the same thing too, like almost as if like Greg Kapahata was extremely nervous and they were just trying to carry him through the broadcast in terms of answering the questions. Now, the answering the questions he did OK with, he just very short, very didn't really say anything of, of any substance. Uh, I mean, not, not, no surprise there, but it didn't fill, fill me with a lot of confidence that this is going to be the man that's leading the U.S. men's national team for the next few years. And at the same time, I just thought it was really weird. Even Rob Stone asking him about his kids. I mean, it just really seemed to be buddy-buddy. It didn't seem to be kind of a, I'm a presenter. I'm going to ask some tough questions here. It was very much, hey, high five, you mean, touch your shoulder type of thing. 
Yeah, and and that was that point was not lost on lots of people I've talked to this week who uh, were saying, okay, we're going to give Burhalter a chance. Yeah, we would have preferred a Vermees or a Marsh or an Osorio or whoever. Uh, and then watched that interview and said, one, uh, I, I got a, I got a lot of feedback on this. One, it's it's classic Rob Stone uh, as a presenter. And again, I mean, I think we saw the difference between Rob Stone and Kate Abdo this week when you watch Champions League um, with Holden and Nash out of the studio and in in uh, Valencia or in uh, Madrid and then in Valencia, you had this situation where. Um, you just had the focus on the three in the Atlanta studio, right? And Kate was asking, um, I've, I've been critical of her on previous shows, but she was asking some very good questions of Tim Howard and Mo Adu. And I, and I, I enjoyed their tactical analysis on, on, on the Wednesday show in particular, uh, or actually Tuesday as well, when they talked about how Liverpool was going to play with the ball. And Tim Howard moved uh, the, 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 the players and, and kind of showed you know, an asymmetrical formation, but where he thought Liverpool would end up at the end of the match. And he was right. Tactically. Um, Rob Stone asked these very soft questions and it wasn't lost on people. And the Burhalter answers and his nervousness or his reluctance, uh, people I've spoken to this week have said, well, this is exactly why the Federation probably wanted him because he's not going to speak out the way Vermees would. We know how Peter Vermees is, uh, or the way that Jurgen Klinsmann, Bruce arena previously did. Um, and that also maybe he's a guy that they can very easily script uh, mm-hmm. to say say certain things. Whereas um, even if you know you try and keep a Vermees on message, Peter, I'm using Peter Vermees as the example because he's he's the guy. Well, he wasn't my first choice for the job, but he's uh, talking to people. It seems like he's the guy getting snubbed that more people around the American game at least are unhappy about than Jesse Marsh, who was my choice. And uh, even if you get Vermees in a situation like that, Chris, with Rob Stone, he'll be spontaneous and he'll probably you know, go off script. He won't just answer the question, but he'll say something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, I think, a very glaring and telling uh, uh, demonstration for everybody about one, where the U.S. Federation is and where their heads are, and two, where Fox is and where their heads are. Yeah, and it was a very short interview. It wasn't anything substantial, too. Uh, and it was hard, too, because the, the, it's just right before the game is starting. The crowd's loud and crazy, which is a fantastic crowd, a, gr- a great uh, a, a, a great, uh, a great, great game for that. But uh, so it's difficult, I think, for him to hear the questions too. So, but yeah, not a good look, and, and to me, it doesn't fill me with a lot of confidence. Now, in terms of the game itself, Kartik, I thought that um, that the, the, the teams coming out and then the national anthem, uh, the national anthem was incredible. I was like, wow, this this girl can sing. Really great television. But even with the teams coming out and the fireworks and the MLS Cup in the background and. That was great. Great television, and I thought that was really well done. Um, the game itself, Kartik, I was really disappointed. I was expecting Portland to put up more of a fight. This one, Atlanta completely dominated this game, and I, I don't think Portland had a, had a shot on goal the entire game. And I was really disappointed because I was thinking, okay, this is going to be a really good chess match between these two sides, but it was Atlanta completely dominated in the game. And yes, it was watchable. I, I watched the game with my daughter, sat down, enjoyed it. But it was not the level of a cup final that I was expecting. You don't remember uh, Gio Savarese, and I love Gio. I had a lot of time for him, both as personally and professionally. But you don't remember Gio in some big matches with the New York Cosmos. This is what they did. They would sit deep. Generally, they wouldn't concede that goal, though. Now, actually, in a match I was at, a big NASL championship match between Fort Lauderdale, uh, the team I worked with, and uh, the Cosmos, we scored first. Uh, up in New York, and then he had to open up. But generally, he sits deep in 
uh, knockout stage matches. He did it against Kansas City as well. Uh, but with the Cosmos, he did the same thing, even though he had in that league uh, – arguably more talent than the opposition. A lot of Fort Lauderdale team that year had comparable talent to them. Uh, they sit back, generous teams, and absorb a lot of pressure and try to get to halftime at nil-nil. Parker's commercial goal, um, which you know maybe should have been chalked off, but that kind of changed everything. Because I think Gio was tactically playing uh, at, for a halftime, maybe by the 60th minute, he, he, he lets... Uh, Valeri and, 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 and company run wild in the second half after a certain point. But it was, uh, it, this is the problem when you get a manager who's thinking defensively and they're away from home in a one-off match. We've seen it in Champions League finals. We've seen it in uh, other one-off matches like this uh, where uh, if there is a goal, the superior, if the superior team scores a goal early, that's kind of it. And that's what happened. It wasn't that early, but yeah, Atlanta dominated the match and, um, they're just a very, very good team to play, uh, to watch. They're easy on the eye. Um, but I think that there is also a, a certain degree of, uh, how do I put it, uh, Chris, uh, when I've watched Atlanta recently, including the Red Bulls, which would surprise me from the Red Bulls, there's a certain degree of negativity. I think those of us who watch a lot of European football are used to this when they're a superior, superior footballing side going up against teams that defensively aren't very good, aren't aren't typically um, uh, teams that like to play the ball. Uh, you get these sorts of matches, and, it, and especially in these situations. Yeah, Atlanta United, and, and this is, uh, this is the, they're not on this level by any means, but Atlanta United reminded me of what Manchester United was in the past when they were so dominant in cup finals where it would be kind of, yeah. they would, a great team, I and mean, fantastic team to watch attacking, and, and the other team would be there merely just to make up the numbers. And, and, and that's how I felt from this one. Even after the game, I thought to myself, okay, Atlanta, they're, they're losing their coach, they're probably going to lose a couple of their key players but they could if they make a smart decision and bring in the right person actually continue this to be a complete uh, domination and leg- legacy for years to come uh, if they play the cards right and, and and that was the feeling i got from this match now now in a weekend that should have all should have been all about the mls cup final i thought it was uh, completely overshadowed by a brilliant river boca game the final of the copa libertadores and to me kartik the premier league weekend that featured liverpool climbing to the top of the premier league table now you have a, t- a title race and an emotional segment by NBC Sports on the uh, important topic of racism in England with, uh, with Robbie Earl. But by, by the way, um, I did not see that segment, but I did see the segment on TNT with uh, Moa Du and uh, Tim Howard, and it was really good. Um, on the I, whatever day pregame show. It would have been when they talked about Sterling, so Wednesday pregame Wednesday, show. yeah. Yeah, and Robbie Earls was really good. I mean, he, he was, you could tell he was emotional about it. He was talking about it. Um, and then towards the end, you could see that he, he started to tear up. And Rebecca Lowe, uh, kind of, she's reached her hand out and, and said, I mean, basically, thank you for opening up, up your heart and telling this, because this is a very difficult topic to cover. And, and Robbie didn't go into a lot of specifics, but did mention about in terms of that he's been through similar experiences in the past before, too. And um, just gave his honest opinions and, and just said in terms of the Premier League needing to do more. For, for anyone who did miss it, definitely check it out, uh, whether it's on YouTube or whether it's on um, the NBC Sports Soccer Twitter account. It's there and it's highly recommended. And, and the Moa Do Tim Howard piece midweek too with Kate Abdo, I thought was, um, was, was j- just as good. I mean, it was really kind of a, given their honest opinions 
and you mean sharing exactly what it feel feels like, and really just being very very critical, very critical against uh, whether it's Sepp Blatter or Infantino or even Jurgen Klopp in terms of the things yeah. they've been saying and the lack of. Uh, what 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 people should be doing? What organizations and FIFA's should be doing to try to stamp this out? And uh, it was a topic that that was much needed. And I think uh, without Robbie Ault talking about it on uh, on Sunday, probably TNT wouldn't have talked about it on Wednesday. But it was uh, all in all a really touching touching on both 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 points, but really well worth it and and, and good television. But but at the end of the day, a, a really good message. Yeah, I, I, and I, I think that's coming out of this weekend, though. I think between Copa Libertadores and MLS is MLS Cup is that uh, what a fantastic Copa Libertadores final, one of the best matches I've watched this year. Um, is that um, Atlanta United? And this is a big challenge for MLS or for MLS fans too. Atlanta United is now emerging as. Um, this super club, something MLS has never had before. I mean, that you could say the Galaxy, you could say Seattle. They had very limited kind of niche um, followings in the global game. Uh, Pitti Martinez, right after the match, you know, he was one of the stars uh, in, in the Copa Libertadores final, said, yeah, I, I, this is my last river. I'm going to Atlanta United. I could never imagine a player of his stature saying, hey, you know, I'm leaving, I'm going, you know, at, at his age, saying, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going to uh, the uh, Portland Timbers, for lack of a better team, right, or uh, the, 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 the New York City FC. Now, does MLS and American soccer, which has reined in the idea of dominant clubs, super clubs, uh, uh, clubs whose branding abroad outweighs that of the league, will they embrace this? Because I get the sense just um, uh, they, they, this, is, this is something completely new. This is uncharted territory for the league. And from talking to people, there is some resentment like, whoa, they think they're bigger than the league. They think that they invented the sport in this country. Um, no, they didn't. Atlanta United didn't invent the sport in this country, but they certainly did take it to another level that you and your other however many teams, I can't even, 20-something teams before, were unable to do. Uh, not just in this country, but abroad in terms of uh, credibility of, of one of your clubs. So. Um, that yeah. to me is a takeaway from the weekend. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, we we don't want a uh, a Bayern Munich and a Bundesliga type of level, but I I think it's important to have big clubs and dominant clubs that are going to um, kind of rise rise up and and really kind of attract a lot of people and, and get a lot of fans to to be watching those clubs. So Atlanta United is a perfect example of that a club that's doing everything right. And um, I see nothing wrong with that in terms of you mean trying to build that club in, in, into a kind of a dominant club, and then hope that the others will rise with that too. The challenge is is that many of the other ones are making a lot of the wrong decisions and, and not rising up to that level. So, but but it, I think in many ways too, it, it incentivizes the other clubs to try harder because they have to to in order to to compete. compete. But Kartik, I, I know that you probably didn't watch much of the Premier League Fan Fest um, over the weekend. And to me, I, I really enjoyed it. To me, it's a validation for a lot of these fans of, of clubs uh, from around the country, um, or soccer fans around the country that are fans of Premier League clubs. So it was great seeing on television. You had everything from uh, Leicester City fans, Leeds United fans, Brighton, Cardiff, Newcastle, and of course, the big clubs too, Chelsea, Man City, Man United, etc. It was one of those rare days that you had 
had all the major big clubs playing on the Saturday um, um, in, I mean, obviously in England, but with the fans being able to congregate in, in this place and really celebrate, uh, I mean, the fandom of, of these clubs. And I really enjoyed it. It was good television. It was really, really good to see. And I, I think at the end of the day, it's validation. It's like if you're a Leicester City fan and you live in Alabama and you're watching it on television and seeing all these other Leicester City fans, it makes you feel that you're part of, part of the club, part of the, the whole uh, following of, of this side in this country. Some quick takeaways from NBC's Premier League coverage this weekend. Uh, I did not get to watch most of it. I, I completely forgot about the Fan Fest. I did not turn NBC on until 12.30 Eastern time on Saturday. Uh, and that had something else to do during the 2.45 game. But two quick notes. One, I really liked uh, the, the job they're doing, the stat crew. Uh, placement of graphics, statistical graphics that are relevant during the Newcastle Wolves match on Sunday. They had some really good uh, graphics about Rafa Benitez's record, about Wolves as a newly promoted team, that they just slipped in at a perfect time when uh, John Champion, who I know we're going to get to, <laughs> talk a lot about him today, I guess, when John Champion mentioned certain things, even though he's not uh, an NBC broadcaster, they were paying attention very clearly to his uh, broadcast for the international feed and pushing uh, good graphics on. The second thing is, uh, Chris, from talking to contacts in the UK, there is beginning to be blowback on this uh, 7.45 p.m. kickoff time on Saturdays from fans. Uh, obviously, that's good for NBC. That's good for the U.S. audience. Uh, and Lester played Spurs this week. That is going to become a, a normal feature in the new TV contract starting next season. And uh, I'm already picking up both among some other media in the UK and among some fans that they do not like that start time. It's too late for a Saturday night for local fans and for people in the UK to, uh, to watch. And, and uh, so let's see, let's see how that plays out. Uh, obviously three years, we'll have three years of start times at that time. I think it's great for us in the States. Uh, I'm excited about it, but um, some blowback from the UK on that already. Yeah, I'm not surprised that there's blowback from the UK. I, to me, to me though, Kartik, having grown up in the UK and then having lived in the United States now for over what 35 years, to me, it's uh, it's 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 it seems to be silly or weird in a way because I mean you've got a 7:45 game kicking off uh, local time in, in the UK. By the time it's over, you mean it's it's, it's 10 o'clock, and in most major uh, you mean kind of countries in the world, especially on the, in the westernized world. In terms of transportation, there should be no problem in getting a transportation back to to where you live. Now, I understand in terms of you mean people living uh, in certain parts of the country where train service ends at Saturday at ten o'clock at night. But but to me, it's part of it is kind of you mean the the, the transportation system in terms of being open up up later so that they actually can they can service these types of uh, things going on. Yeah, okay, that's a big part of it. So fans from the north saying, well, the last train that leaves Houston or leaves Liverpool Street or, or whichever station going back to my locale, my area um, out of London will leave before the end of that match. I'm stuck spending an extra night uh, spending money and then a night in, in a hotel room in London if, let's say, uh, Burnley has to play at Crystal Palace in that yeah. match. Which, so which, which that's I think, part of the issue. Which, which, which I think for a lot of Americans is probably very strange and weird. It's like, well, why wouldn't the trains run late you mean, and, and have a later train? Um, so, so, yeah, I, I completely understand where the UK's blowback is coming from. And, and from my side, I'm saying, you mean, there's got to be a way to, to make this work that, uh, you mean, but... 
and again, at the end of the day, it's all about television. So they're, they don't care as much about the actual fans in the stadium. But uh, but hopefully it'll t- you mean you mean transition into making this happen and making this a permanent thing. I enjoy it. It's it's a full day of football from you mean early morning to to late afternoon. It, it actually ends up being a good day. The the River Boca game, Kartik. I won't go into a lot of detail about this one, but I did I did enjoy it. It was uh, my favorite match of the entire week. And uh, anyone who wants to see just a world class goal, check out uh, Boca Juniors' first goal that they scored in this game. Just a, a an incredible uh, pass that split the defense. Uh, one touch by one. Uh, I forgot who scored it uh, to jump over a defender and slot the ball into the back of the net. And then and then River Plate came back. Just a really incredible game. The last ten minutes of the game, the goalkeeper um, was up up for corner for corner kicks uh, opposite side of the field. Empty goal, empty net. Just crazy, crazy, immense pressure, and uh, just an amazing game. Really, really good game. Fox Deportes. I watched this one on, and, and Telemundo showed it too. Yeah, Telemundo was great. Contour was fantastic. Uh, for those who who maybe. I haven't watched South American football very much in the past. You might realize uh, that this match was essentially a cross between uh, La Liga and the Premier League. You had a lot of the same kind of great technical goals that you see in La Liga, but you had sort of hard tackling and physical play you tend to see in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just for a spectacle because I know people have personal preferences. Some people like because it's fast and frenzied and there's a lot of hard tackling and bad giveaways in midfield that lead to to, to quick counterattacks. Uh, a lot of people like La Liga because it's the buildup is very technical. The touches are, are, are better than the Premier League. The goals tend to be more spectacular. Uh, Premier League has spectacular goals too, but you know what I mean from a technical standpoint uh, than the Premier League. This was like, this match was basically the combination of the two. That's that's simplifying it a bit. It's, no, no, no I, I that's a good. That's a good point. That's a, that's a good description of it, Kartik. I, I, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And, and also, even in terms of the speed and the uh, just frenetic nature of the game, it, it reminded me of some of the best Premier League in terms of just just crazy. You're like, oh my gosh, this 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 match is going insane. Um, rather than symptoms, maybe say La Liga, where it's more tranquilo. You mean just kind of relaxed, yeah. calm under pressure, pass, pass, pass. It, it was had that had that passion, and, and of course you got the fan base too on top of that. That adds a whole other deg- uh, degree of, of just amazingness. But uh, yeah, really, really good game. Kartik, so Champions League. So we, we, let's, let's avoid the uh, Spurs Barcelona game for a second and talk about everything else from the Champions League from this week from Turner's uh, broadcasting. I turn it again to Akartik uh, doing a great job. But Tuesday pre-match, they had uh, a, kind of a, a live tactical breakdown of uh, Kubayi against um, Mo Salah, and this is their prediction of you mean kind of showing some pre-match, uh, showing some other games that they they played against each other, and how they kind of uh, really kind of uh, Kubayi was able to kind of really take Salah out of the game. And which is really, really good because then in the game itself, Salah's ga- uh, goal came from kind of uh, Salah being able to to get past uh, Kubayi. But but really, really good tactical breakdown there on, on the set. And also enjoyed the um, the walkthrough that Stu Holden and uh, Steve Nash did of uh, La Masia in Barcelona, showing them kind of like basically all these greats and these young stars of the future. Um, Kind of where they where they reside and, and what their environment is, is like that too, and uh, I thought I thought pre match I thought Stuart Holden and Steve Nash uh, they have a really good chemistry together. Kartik, we've talked about this before, but I I really honestly think that their chemistry is better 
than the chemistry between John Strong and Stu Holden. I think John Strong is a little bit more seems to be more uptight and more kind of uh, kind of straight laced. And I think with uh, Steve Nash, Stu gets to kind of relax a little bit more and kind of joke back and forth a little bit better. And the chemistry to me works really, really well together. Now that's pre-match. <laughs> the, the game itself, uh, the Spurs-Barcelona game, I, I understand this was an experiment. I'm, I'm, I understand that in terms of them wanting to try something different. And um, as you said, Kartik, I think in some of your Twitter comments, your criticism criticism was more about the actual production in terms of the decision to do this. But to me, what a car crash this was. This was absolutely horrible in terms of just first starting off with the mics not working. I mean, Stu Holden's mic not working correctly, so it sounded horrible. But at the same time, you have the Liverpool-Napoli game. I'm watching that game, and I go back to the uh, Barcelona Spurs game like every few minutes just, just to listen in and, and check in. And the energy level was completely flat. I mean, there was, there was, not, there was kind of – it seemed to be like, I don't know, 30 seconds with no talking. It just was really, really bad. And, and, and to me, I, went, I kept on going back to the Liverpool-Napoli match and ended up st- sticking with that. So, Chris, I, I don't technically disagree. I, I know a lot of people have pushed back on me, got text messages from people about my, my tweets about this. I don't technically disagree. I think the thing we have to remember is it was a first match for Stu Holden doing uh, play-by-play, uh, doing being the main commentator. He, he, he's conversational-type well, guy. I think, I think he's done stuff before, though. I mean, he, he did Facebook Live, I think, last season and the season before. Which Wasn't was, Rachel Panetta hosting those? She was hosting it, but then usually she'd hand it over to, um, to whoever. Yeah, right. you know, yeah. but, but I, th- I think he commentated one of those. Those really aren't even commentary, so it's almost like kind of a uh, discussion, a conversation. But, but I, I get what you're saying in terms of this is a, his first time really doing a, a television commentary. Yeah, and I, and I think the, for me, if you're going to experiment with this sort of thing and then try and get some live um, on, on-site commentators that are your commentators who are speaking to your audience, might as well do it in, in, toward the end of the group stage rather than uh, start doing this in, in the knockout stages and in, in the uh, semifinals of the Champions League. So, uh, and obviously, this match was an occasion of, of seeing Steve Nash has a lot of access to Spurs uh, for obvious reasons. So it was a it was a pretty uh, at the Pochettino uh, himself. So it was a pretty good um, match, I think, to, to to pick this. Now, did this format work? Probably wow. not. But I think it's it's pretty clunky. And quite frankly, Chris, the ratings are so low. I don't think it turns off that many viewers. I mean, we just got to remember how few people are watching this. And maybe you experiment with things that can engage new viewers. Yeah, I, I think this would have had the, the complete opposite effect, though, to Kartik. It was, it was that bad. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, though, too. I mean, that Steve Nash got a lot of criticism for being, being a Spurs fanboy. You mean, just talking about Spurs throughout the entire game and just, I mean, if you're a neutral, if you're a Spurs fan watching this, you're probably okay. But even then, they probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. But, but for everyone else, it's like, this is just, just, this is just not, not right. I mean, to me, at the end of the day, I, th- I think last podcast I said... I think that they made the right decision going with the Spurs-Barcelona game. In hindsight, going into this, I think it was the wrong decision. They should have had the Liverpool-Napoli game on this one. You mean, imagine Stu Holden and Steve Nash at, at Anfield for that game. Uh, it would have been better in terms of atmosphere. But, but even going into the match twice before the game started, Steve Nash said, this doesn't mean anything. For, this game doesn't mean anything for Barcelona. So as a viewer who was planning on probably watching a lot of this game, I was like, you know what? Do I really want to watch this game? No, I'll, I'll just go ahead and watch the Liverpool-Napoli game instead, and I'll tune in back and forth and see what, how, how things are going on the Spurs match. 
But uh, I, I think it was just a really bad mistake by Turner Sports. Um, hopefully they've learned from this. Hopefully they won't do this again. Uh, it just did not work at all. I, I mean, Stu Holden's a great analyst, but he does not have the style of a commentator. And, it, and even halftime, too. I think halftime you had uh, the highlights from the game. But rather than them using the, the actual commentary from Stu and Steve Nash, you had, I think, Jonathan Pierce uh, doing the, the commentary. And the game sounded like it was much more alive. It sounded like it was more energetic. It sounded like it was more exciting. And, and to me, with Stu Holden and Steve Nash in the game, it just was very flat, very unenergetic. It was just really just, just a, a, a toll like kind of to, to, get, to get through this game. So hopefully they've learned the lesson. Yeah, but, and hopefully uh, production-wise, if they do another live telecast like this with their own commentators, the transitions, you could, you could almost tell watching when they were cutting from images and microphones that were part of the UEFA feed to their own commentary. Uh, there were just, and again, this is difficult, and I'm picking up production this week for whatever reason because I, I wasn't happy with how Fox handled the MLS Cup with the camera working and, and the cutaways and, and uh, that sort of stuff. Um, and again, I, I don't have any critiques of the actual program of the MLS Cup, uh, the commentators, uh, Strong and, and uh, Holden or, or, or Wallace, etc. Uh, in, in studio, my critique is about the um, is about the production. I my concern, Chris, is that Turner. Um, if they do this again, even if it's with a different set of commentators, they've got to get that mic work right. Um, yeah. that, take, that, that, that creates some of the flatness you're talking about. And it's, it's very subtle. Maybe it's because you and I have watched so much media and television through the years that we pick up on it more easily than, than others do. But uh, that, that, that's a concern for me because then that kind of sucks the energy out of a, of a telecast. Yeah. The other thing, too, is that um, the audio wasn't synced up with the video. So you well, yeah, and, 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 and we, we've, we've seen this so many times in the past with Fox where it just wasn't synced up and we're like, oh, my God, not again. And, and that to me is like that, that's almost even worse than a bad mic is, is that you're hearing the, the, the analysis either a second or two before it happens or a second or two after it happens rather than it, it feeling live. And, and to me, that was just, oh, please. I thought it was my television, so I changed the channel <laughs> and then changed it back, and, and Nash's voice was still, uh, well, I mean, his lips were not synced with, with what was coming out still after I changed the channel. So I thought, maybe I have, maybe it's on my end. <laughs> right. Well, that's what I thought, too, when I was watching it, I think, through Fubo, watching it on TNT. But then, yeah, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was completely the, the video and audio were not synced up. Um, Moving on to Wednesday. Wednesday, I didn't pay as much attention to just because the games didn't mean as much. A lot of them were kind of done and dusted for the most part, other than kind of places within the groups. And uh, the matches for me weren't as, as appealing as they were on Tuesday. But uh, pre-match on Wednesday, a really good piece about uh, Nuri from Ajax, um, a, a player that uh, is not able to play again, a young star that was... Uh, they thought that there would be thought a lot of good things would come out of this player, and uh, unfortunately, he's never going to be able to play again. And it was just a really stirring, emotional segment, well produced, really well produced by TNT about uh, kind of the background about the story. And I thought that was really well done and great television. And I was like, wow, this is this is good. This is really really good stuff. And then, of course, we talked about too about. Um, Tim Howard and Moadu and Kate Abdo talking about racism in soccer, um, and that was well done too. 
Hi, Kartik. Let's move on to the TV streaming news, and I'll have you kick it off, Kartik, with the big news. Yeah, big news of the week here in the in the states, or actually in the UK as well. John Champion is moving the United to the United States to commentate on MLS games for ESPN. Uh, a former uh, guest uh, who's been a frequent guest on this show, uh, ESPN producer Amy Rosenfeld, also a guest on this show in the past, said uh, it will be determined on a case by case basis whether Champion can call Premier League games and tournaments if it doesn't interfere with this ESPN work. Um, I, I, this is this is a fantastic move for Major League Soccer. It really kind of elevates the level of commentary. Uh, and next year, they do have the MLS Cup, so champion will call the MLS Cup alongside Taylor Twelman. Uh, it's a big, big move for ESPN. I think it's uh, it's disappointing uh, from a Premier League perspective uh, and from a, from quite frankly an EFL perspective, right? From a championship mm-hmm. perspective, in terms of especially that Friday match. Uh, but it really kind of ups the ante in terms of commentators here in the United States. And I think Chris, it is important to note this. Uh, I know that this is. Uh, I don't want to get here and there's a lot of uh and i actually am a, a political liberal uh there's a lot of anger among the left saying oh who would want to live in the united states now i i see more and more people who are professional in europe saying you know what if we have the opportunity to move and live and raise our family in the united states we're going to do it uh, even more than in the past um so i mean this thing cuts both ways and it's it's great to have him here he'll be in the states we have seen uh commentators based in the united states be able to still do work in europe uh derek ray moved back to the united states a, a year or two ago and as we've seen he's been uh, uh able to do uh, well he did the bundesliga game i should have mentioned that he did the, the uh Werder bremen fortuna Dusseldorf match that I watched on Friday and uh, because he lived in the United States he was very cognizant of the Josh Sargent issue and and uh, you know kind of commentated on that for an American audience even though it was the international feed um, one last point before I know you get your uh, comments in on this John Champion has in his commentary as recently as the Wolves uh, Newcastle match I, I referenced on Sunday he always works in an angle related to the United States in his commentary uh, mm-hmm. at, at this point a Premier League and, and championship commentary so I, I think he's already becoming comfortable with talking to an American audience and obviously he's done a lot of matches here as well including U.S. men's national team matches. I will be completely honest when I, when I heard this news uh, earlier this week I, I was depressed it, it really depressed me for that day I was like I was just so shocked now Kartik, you and I have met John on a couple occasions, maybe two or three occasions. Just a great guy. I, I would consider him a, a friend. I mean, he's a really, really down-to-earth, he's a gentleman. He, he's everything you could expect for uh, an English football commentator, one of the greats to be. But And I understand in terms of, um, from ESPN, this is a huge coup. For Major League Soccer, this is a huge coup. For John Champion and his family, this is a huge opportunity. He's really, when you think about it, he's mastered the European game. You mean, in terms of whether it's for World Cups or whether it's for the Premier League or whether it's Championship or you, you name it, he's done it and he's done it for decades. So, so this would be an opportunity to go into a new market, uh, to actually help ESPN, to help MLS. That would make a huge difference and to go into an environment where there's an opportunity for it to grow. But on a personal level, I, I'm really, to me, one of the main major reasons I watch the Premier League is because of John Champion. And, and, and it was just weird to say, but it is. It's one of those things. If I know that John Champion is calling whatever game it is uh, on the weekend, I will go out of my way to listen to that game more so than, than if it was yeah. some other commentator. And, and, that's, and, and that's something, too. Even on the, uh, the feedback we've got in the comments section on World Soccer Talk, I wrote a, I wrote a, 
a commentary piece about this, and, and the piece was talking about this leaves a gaping hole for uh, commentators in the UK because who rises up to that level? Who, who fits in? Who tries to fill the shoes of, of uh, John Champion? And the feedback we got from our listeners and our readers were, were a lot of same similar stories saying like that he's he's a, a main reason I, I really kind of I, I follow the Premier League or I'm attracted to the Premier League. And I wonder, I really wonder, Kartik, if the Premier League and IMG and TWI and everyone that's responsible for uh, the world feed and, and the production really understand how much of a factor John Champion is in the popularity of the Premier League. I mean, he's one of many factors. He's not the factor. But I wonder how hard they tried to keep him there. Did they say, hey, okay, yeah, maybe ESPN's offering you more money, perhaps, uh, and a better lifestyle, but what are we going to offer, counter-offer, to, to try to get, get him to stay in the UK? And again, on a personal level, I understand why he's doing it. And in these discussions we've had and the conversations we've had in person with him, He's always interested in Major League Soccer. He's always asking what we think about this and what, what we think about the TV coverage. And he's listening to this podcast, so I, I know he's listening to this right now. But to me, him leaving leaves a huge hole in, in the Premier League broadcast uh, worldwide. And uh, I'm going to miss him. It's not gonna be, the Premier League is not going to be the same without him. Yeah, and uh, let me speak for the championship as well. I mean, I... Uh I will. I think I've confessed this on this show before that I've I've turned uh, championship matches off, uh, Friday championship matches if he's not the commentator. Because part of the reason I listed that I didn't uh, because of the Josh Sargent and Derek Ray, who's another one of our favorites, uh, was calling that match. I didn't watch uh, West Brom Villa uh, this week, although normally I would have a, a West Midlands derby. I absolutely would have watched. Uh, I. I uh, watch a lot of matches or get more engaged in matches if he's the commentator. There's no two ways about it. As I turn championship matches off, I don't know that I turn Premier League matches off or, or, or set my skin based on the matches he's commentating, but I listen more closely when he's the commentator. And um, he has that unique ability to storytell, to call a match, let a match breathe, and give some insight and opinion. Uh, I, I don't know many other commentators uh, that have that ability. I mean, I would say Derek Gray is, is on that list or maybe one or two others, Martin Tyler. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about worldwide. So it, it is a huge loss for, for English football. Uh, but uh, again, I take this from an, uh, an American perspective. I'm an American. I live in this country. I'm very excited. I'm really excited to have John Champion here calling matches. Uh, and I think he will also um, – elevate the level of the discussion around major league soccer and u.s soccer uh i assume this means he'll call some u.s men's national team games or some more game matches i'm not sure maybe ian dark is going to continue to do those um and steve McManaman is still hanging around he was on espnfc this week by the way so uh he he still has some role in what's going on but you see also chris from this the contrast between ESPN's approach and Fox's approach. And maybe this is a tired subject on this uh, program, but when you talk about um, the level of the commentators, the level of the willingness to critique uh, uh, certain elements of the the sport in this country, it's just um, night and day. Yeah, and that's one thing we'll have to wait and see in terms of his commentary of Major League Soccer games, whether he's going to call it the way he sees it. I mean, he always has in the past in terms of the Premier League. Um, he's been politically correct about it. I don't think he's been kind of like a 
just a, a he's not a negative person by any means but you mean if if a, if a free kick's a horrible free kick he'll call it a horrible free kick and we know that within major league soccer sometimes that uh commentators or analysts are a little bit um very much don't want to kind of hurt the feelings of anyone and wanting to help try to grow the sport and say the right things and 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 hopefully hopefully that won't happen i i don't think it will with john but um we'll see yeah, so let me tie a ball on this conversation because Derek Ray keeps coming up in this conversation. Uh, one, John Champion has said that stuff during Premier League matches and championship matches I've watched saying, well, this is really an underwhelming match. This match wasn't of the quality we expected. Uh, I don't know how that gets received by MLS. Now, when Derek Ray used to commentate on MLS matches, this was many, many moons ago, and we have a lot of new fans in this country and a lot of people who don't remember that, uh, he got criticized incessantly by the MLS, for lack of a better term, fanboy community for um, not only on, on ESPN broadcast, but also on New England Revolution broadcasts for pointing out the, the quality of what he was seeing in certain matches. He wasn't always that way. Mm-hmm. It was based on on the match. So, uh, again, to me, he's the standard of commentators who've been based in the United States uh, through the years. Derek Ray's number one on that list for me. Uh, John Champion brings a similar skill set to the job. Are we now more mature as a soccer nation to where there was so much pushback on Ray's commentary 15 years ago? Is there going to be the same sort of pushback on Champion? I hope not. I think probably not, but we'll see. So John Champion's last game uh, commentating the Premier League is going to be scheduled for January 29th. It's Newcastle United against Manchester City. And NBC, please, 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 please make sure that uh, Arlo's not doing that game and, and just let uh, John Champion and let soccer fans around the United States uh, be able to hear John Champion's official last Premier League game. And as Kartik said, there's an opportunity perhaps maybe that he might do some games in the future, but it all depends on schedule and with MLS's schedule and with the Premier League matches, with the commentators being at the stadium. Those those schedules might not might, might not sync up, and it might be very very rare that we get to hear John Champion call a Premier League game uh, again in a very very long time. So January 29th, Newcastle, Man City, NBC Sports, please. All right, Carter, moving on to the next news item, and that is the MLS Cup final, the much anticipated, much uh, talked about game. The viewing figure for this one was on over the air Fox, the Fox network, and it had 1.5 million viewers. Kartik, what's your take? Is this a good number or a bad number? I think it's a pretty good number, but the number was spiked by Atlanta being in the match. The uh, rating, uh, local rating in the Atlanta market was over an 11 share, which is pretty good for, yeah. Um, And in the Portland market was over a seven share. I think the next uh, highest market was Austin or Milwaukee. West Palm Beach, by the way, was in the top five also. Um, Your market, your your television market. Yeah. and those were all kind of in the ones. So I think it was spiked. I, it's a good number. It, don't take anything away. And I know the MLS fans are going to come after me. It is a very good number. But if you have two different teams, if it had been sporting Kansas City against New York Red Bull, we might, might be looking at a 0.9 or a 1, honestly. Um, the right teams got in. Now, this might be a good thing for MLS going forward because I think Atlanta's going to be playing in this game an awful lot. As we talked about earlier in the show, um, although it's a bit of a crapshoot, the, the playoff format, but um, 
the number is good, Chris, but it, I have to point out again, it was spiked by the two teams that are in it. Uh, and Atlanta, this is something important about this television market, but I think a lot of people who were skeptical of how soccer would work in that market did not pick up on. Atlanta is a notoriously fickle sports market we hear in terms of attendance. However, if you look at the local television ratings on local cable for the Atlanta Braves, local um, – Vision ratings on their uh, on their Fox affiliate for Atlanta Falcons games. You're hot than the vast majority of markets in the country in terms of their local market share. Uh, there are people who don't go to games, but they watch them on television. Now, Atlanta United hasn't had an attendance problem, obviously, but there are that many more people watching games on television. Uh, so it is it is a killer television market. And having um, that for local sports, having an Atlanta team in the final uh, and then hosting the match made this rating what it was. So um, the question, Chris, is you wrote an article earlier in the week on World Soccer Talk, highest rating since 2002. Is this an outlier because Atlanta was in the game? Yeah. And and we might not know. We won't know till next year if someone else is in it instead of Atlanta. Yeah. And actually, I, I amended that article to Kartik because there was it's actually the highest number since 1997, uh, the 1. 1.5 million oh, viewers. OK. So, so the, which, which, which is even better. So but my my take on this is that um, MLS has hit a ceiling that I, I don't think they're going to get beyond this number. Yes, it's a good number, but all the things coming together in terms of having Atlanta playing at home in this stadium, Atlanta with Tata Martino and, and all these great players and this team playing so well. Uh, and with next year, the final be on ESPN and not on Fox again for another, another couple of years. The chances of having Atlanta United in a final against the Portland um, are going to be even slim. It might be, I mean, like you said, sporting Kansas City against Colorado Rapids or something like that in a final. Or, or New York Red Bulls. I mean, take, a, take a, a New York market. New York Red Bulls against LA Galaxy. This TV number is not going to hit that number, uh, that, that 1.5 million number. Unless it's Atlanta United or again, but I, that's my take on it. I, I don't think we're going to get much past this in the future. Uh, it's a great number for MLS, and uh, I think they should just, uh, you mean, remember this. And, and this will probably go, go, go down in history as probably uh, the most watched uh, MLS Cup final uh, for a long time to come. I can't take this. Move on to the next news item. Yeah, big news this week, uh, potentially for uh, uh, the the landscape of soccer in Canada, which is uh, or television in Canada, which is DAZN uh, getting apparently the English Premier League uh, rights. Uh, Now, uh, this would move it off of television, off of Sportsnet or TSN uh, and to to DAZN, which is a streaming platform, uh, which you know, they, they, they've taken up part of Champions League already in Canada. Uh, the reaction I've gotten initially, now the conversation with my Canadian friends has shifted to the Ottawa Fury situation with CONCACAF. That's a whole other uh, governance issue. But um, when this initially broke, it uh, was uh, really kind of anger and, and, and shock uh, and, 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 and wondering why the Premier League, given their success being on broadcast television in the United States, would go to another um, – to a, to, to a completely different model in Canada, a market which historically uh, the Premier League was more popular in than the United States until recently. So uh, there was a lot of unhappiness among the Canadian soccer fans I've talked to about this. But, Chris, I think um, this is just going to be the reality, particularly with the zone throwing what we believe is a lot of money at this sort of stuff. Yeah, this is a big story, Kartik. I mean, this is, result, this is I mean, it revolves around Canada, but the reality is, is that... Uh, I mean, this this means that if you're living in Canada for next season, 
uh, the only way to watch the Premier League is through DAZN. So if you're a cord cutter, you can have access to every single Premier League game through DAZN in Canada, which it's a huge story. But to me, it's this is a huge story, Kartik, because I, I, I can see now DAZN moving in, looking at what, whatever next rights are available. I can see them picking up the Bundesliga in the United States and saying, hey, Bundesliga exclusively on DAZN. I can see DAZN going in for La Liga, putting a big bid in for La Liga. Maybe Univision on the Spanish side gets uh, acquires that side, but on the English language side, DAZN could get, could get that too. And and you go on and on and on from there. Um, this is a big move and a big statement of intent. And I think it's only a matter of probably, probably months before we hear about DAZN picking up some rights in the United States for some other big soccer properties or sub-licensing some of these uh, games or leagues from from other companies and and offering some big money. And those ads, Carter, I keep on seeing those ads all the time. It's uh, unstoppable. Next up, uh, Barcelona has withdrawn their proposal to play Girona in the game in Miami that was scheduled for January 29th, I believe, um, uh, in the part of La Liga. We, in our conversation, our interview we had a few weeks ago with the CEO of La Liga North America, he did say that if this game didn't happen, they'd try again in September. So uh, that's, that's, I think that's where we're at right now is that uh, La Liga and relevant sports will continue to try to get this, these games played in the United States. It's likely not going to be Barcelona. It could be Real Madrid so, or, or some other team, Valencia perhaps, or whoever it may be. But a 15-year deal, at some point, they're going to make this happen, I'm sure. And Kartik, lastly, uh, just one more news item. This is another big one. Yeah, uh, kind of a stunner. 11 Sports uh, may be facing closure in the UK after only four months. They haven't attracted enough subscribers. Uh, And as our listeners know, there's been a lot of controversy about uh, La Liga and Serie A and the showing of 3 p.m. matches. Now uh, 11 is abiding by those blackouts. Uh, There was a a hope that there would be enough interest in in, uh, European football to, um, and I think they have some non-football rights too, but uh, La Liga and, and Serie A being the big ones to uh, to, to uh, sign up enough subscribers. They have a Netflix-like model, and it just uh, has not happened. Uh, Chris, to me, the story reinforces how few people in the UK watch other leagues, which yeah. is why I often, I mean, I, I know people on Twitter think I have this very anti-British uh, uh, comment, uh, British media uh, outlook or British British fan. I don't. The issue is that they 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 make a about other leagues without watching them uh, all the time there and part and this just kind of reinforced me there's just not that much interest in other other football leagues outside of uh their own domestic leagues yeah to me too Kartik it, it really reinforces that the Premier League is massive in the UK and anything beyond that there's very little interest in it and uh I, I believe in the article about 11 sports it says that uh, they've acquired so far 50,000 subscribers uh, to their streaming service uh, which is hardly any really in a country of millions. And and to me, this is um, not so much a warning sign about streaming in general, but just more a warning sign in terms of a, a streaming, well, in this case, a, a company going in, um, trying to enter a very competitive marketplace where the Premier League has such a huge appeal and trying to shake things up and trying to get people to subscribe to their service to watch La Liga and, and, and other sports Um I think it's just a bad fit for 11 sports in the UK. 
All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV ratings. Uh, we've already talked about the MLS Cup final. Uh, we had the Chelsea Man City game, which was 1.1 million on NBC on Saturday. That's been the uh, most watched Premier League game of the season so far. Uh, we had some other big numbers too. We, we, we talked about this, we teased this in the opening of the show. Uh, the millions and millions of uh, people watching soccer this past weekend. Well, 1.7 million people watched uh, Club America against Pumas on Univision on Sunday. You had 1.3 million for Cruz Azul, Monterrey on Univision on Saturday. Uh, in our interview last week with Univision Deportes President uh, Juan Carlos Rodriguez, he talked about uh, his dream for the final would have been Club America against uh, Cruz Azul. His wish has come true, and that's going to happen uh, starting tonight, Thursday, the, the first leg, in what should be some massive numbers there for Univision, um, in, a, in what should be a really, really entertaining uh, two-leg final. Uh, River Boca, 1.1 million Kartik. This was a this is a great number. I mean, 600,000 people yeah. on Telemundo and about 400,000 uh, on Fox supporters for a game that uh, wasn't on English language television and got some big numbers for a game that normally doesn't get anything near these numbers. Yeah, uh, that was a, a stunning number to me, the most stunning number of the weekend. Uh, we, we expect the high numbers for the semifinals, uh, particularly on Univision uh, over the weekend. The, 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 uh, and this is something we'll also see with the grand finale is that the Thursday leg never does as well as the Sunday leg. Uh, we'll be talking about that now. Uh, but uh, that number stunned me. Um, I have to point out this is the first weekend, Chris, we've had without college football. Uh, of this um, football season. Well, I mean, I suppose MLS starts before or starts way back when, but uh, I think that that um, strategically helps a, a great deal. MLS cup next year is going back a couple of weekend where there will be NFL or college football. Maybe they're going to play it on a Sunday. I don't know. Uh, and, and that would avoid the co- uh, conflict with college football, but this was the first weekend of this of the year um, of the football season without college football. And I think that's reflected in the ratings, particularly for the Chelsea Man City match. 12.30 kickoff time on ESPN, uh, on uh, NBC over the year. There is always a big college football game, whether it be on Fox or ABC or uh, ESPN going on, uh, or CBS going on at the same time uh, when NBC has those Premier League. So I think that that, yes, it was a big match. It was two big teams at the top, near the top of the table, but it also... Uh, was uh, a benefit benefited from the week it was, and then one other number to point out too, and uh, we'll have all of the numbers for all the games on worldsoccertalk.com in the next twenty four to forty eight hours. But Spurs against Barcelona, uh, the Stu Holden, Steve Nash commentary on TNT on Tuesday, uh, two hundred ninety seven thousand viewers. So uh, for a big game like that, featuring two big teams, a pretty good number. N- nothing, nothing amazing, nothing really bad there. For me, a big takeaway again, Chris, this week, as I watched uh, three Bundesliga matches in their entirety on Fox, there wasn't a single Bundesliga match that cleared 100,000 viewers in the United States, including a match between Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic. So the Bundesliga strategy of having Americans on it, because there's, there's just about any Bundesliga match you watch now, there's an American either on the bench or, or playing, uh, isn't really catching on in this country. Um, now, maybe that's Fox's fault. I don't know. But this, to me, was pretty telling. I thought that match at least would clear the number for 
um, you know, Galatasaray Porto on TNT. Now, obviously, that was a Champions League match, but that got higher numbers. Uh, Juventus Inter on a Friday afternoon on ESPN2 got higher numbers. Uh, Huddersfield Arsenal tucked away on CNBC, a, a business channel, and, and it got higher numbers. So, uh, yeah, a lot of problems for the Bundesliga here in the States. Yeah, for me, you can only watch as much football as you can. And in and, and the Bundesliga, I, I love to watch the Bundesliga, but when there's other things on, I mean, the Bundesliga gets lower on the priority list, maybe maybe number three or number four. I mean, we've got La Liga matches on, Serie A matches on, I mean, Champions League, Premier League, Championship. I mean, there's so much soccer on that I think it just gets pushed to the wayside, unfortunately, even, even with American players. Listener mailbag. We've got a bunch of great uh, feedback this week. Um, the first up is Curtis Williams. He says, uh, I totally enjoyed Sunday's Copa Lib second leg via Fox Deportes. Although I'm not Latino, the match proved to exceed my expectations as a soccer fan. One major positive, both sets of fans behaved themselves from start to finish. By the way, this was the best final I have seen since the 2005 Champions League final between Liverpool and AC Milan. Thank you and Merry Christmas from Little Rock, Arkansas. Wow, those are some... uh, Big words there, Kartik, because uh, that final, the 2005 final, still the greatest game I've ever seen in my life, and that and that River Boca final w- was was definitely good, um, without a doubt. John Average Geek says, "What has Atlanta United done differently from other Atlanta soccer teams uh, that have failed to do in tapping into the local market, uh, money, ownership, marketing, style of play?" Question mark. Kartik, what's your take on this one? Yeah, so having done, obviously worked at the NASL and worked with the Atlanta Silverbacks and then previous to that covered USL and covered the Atlanta Silverbacks owner, that makes a big difference. The ownership situation with uh, the Atlanta Silverbacks was always a situation where I think the owner of the team at times was trying to leverage the fact that he owned the soccer park to make money. Two, marketing, obviously uh, Arthur Blank has blown it out out of uh, the building. Three, local community connections. I can't stress how important it is that uh, Atlanta United got into the local Latino community. They got into the local community of African immigrants. They started uh, sponsoring uh, soccer-related events two years before um, the team kicked the ball. They started recruiting local players for their academy and taking an intake of local players. These are things that the other Atlanta professional soccer teams never did. That ties you to the local community. Then, of course, um, hiring soccer people. So what we've seen uh, with other Atlanta uh, sports teams, and quite frankly, a lot of minor league teams in in, in the United States uh, in general, is they don't hire soccer people. They hire people who come over from hockey. They hire people who come over from Major League Baseball or Minor League Baseball. Uh, What we've seen with Atlanta United is they went out and hired Darren Eels from Spurs. They hired Carlos Bocanegra, who was the captain of the U.S. men's national team, who's a soccer guy. They hired Paul McDonough, who's now moved on to, to Miami. But um, he's, a, he's a soccer guy through and through and very good at his job. They hired soccer people. Arthur Blank is an NFL owner. He didn't have a background in soccer, but he didn't say, okay, why don't I co-mingle some of my Falcon staff and people that maybe I interviewed for a job and didn't get it here, NFL people. Why don't I have them run the soccer team? He didn't do that. Now, that has been a big mistake in Major League Soccer in the past and in uh, the lower divisions, as I mentioned. So they just, I I could, we could have a whole podcast on what Atlanta's done (laughs) right. Um, I don't want to take up the rest of the show. (laughs) 
they, uh, the, the one thing I would say that in terms of nationally, what Atlanta has done right, and it, it's a simple thing, is they created a really exciting attacking, a very attacking team yep. that, was, that, that wins games. And to me, that's I mean, the most important formula, uh, part of that formula, is having some team play that you're actually excited to watch, that you, you want to watch. And there's been so many teams in the past before that I've been, whether it's locally or, or, or nationally, and, and just in terms of the way that they set up to play, kind of very defensive, and it's just like, oh, you mean, it, it, it's completely the wrong strategy. We knew at the very first match they played, they lost to the Red Bulls uh, in their first match in whatever it would have been March of 2017. But I remember talking to you and talking to some other people saying, we've never seen a team like this in Major League Soccer. Uh, uh, this is Especially they, they for a new team, them. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we just hadn't seen that type of football. They didn't win that match, but we saw what Tata was trying to do uh, tactically, conceptually, the type of technical skills their players had. And it was like, you know what? I'm going to keep watching them. And I think there was some podcast last year, last season, that maybe you said the same thing. It's like, eh, the MLS match, uh, which is on Fox or ESPN, we see if Atlanta's playing. And if Atlanta's playing, we watch. If they're not, mm-hmm. we, we don't watch. Yeah, and it, I think that there are a lot of people like that. It's the type of team that I could see doing well in a, like a FIFA Club World Cup and actually advancing pretty far in terms of just yeah. not even just the attacking style of football, but just the way that they play. They play, you mean, the right way in terms of positionally, you mean, style of play. Um, they are, you mean, kind of that quintessential kind of world team. It's the team that they would translate well to, to playing against other teams from around the world. Vincent Orozco says, Hi, guys, I've got a question for you about the Fox coverage of the MLS Cup final. Why did they not interview the MVP of the game? I thought it was weird in the interview that, that they interviewed the losing coach. I think it would be better if they interviewed the winning teams, winning coach, and reiterating the story to line that this was his last game. I think Fox got it all wrong on the sideline coverage, in my opinion. They did a gross disservice to Hispanics and not having a Hispanic point of view anywhere in the coverage. Which is true, Kartik. I completely agree with that. Um, there's always the question about uh, Tata Martino and, and his English, which we know from some interviews yeah. that he's done in the past few weeks that he, he, he can and uh, does speak a little bit of English. Um, the MVP, you mean, what, 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 you mean I, I would guess, too, that he'd be able to speak some English, too. Well, if you, had a, if you had a Sebastian Salazar, you mean somebody that could actually be very bilingual, sideline, that could you know, go back and forth and translate on the fly, they were missing that. And this is a huge miss for a big game like this one. Yeah, if they had Seb, it would be different, right? But they don't, they, they don't employ those sorts of people, it seems, at Fox uh, that are... Or a Hercules Gomez. Yeah, you know, guys that are multi multilingual or guys who are um, you know, critical that are able to inter- uh, interpret on the fly. We have seen through the years Univision in their MLS coverage do interviews in English and have the sideline guy translated. I remember no- a number of interviews with Dwayne D. Rosario, who was the standout MLS player of his generation uh, playing for, for San Jose and Houston, where the Univision, Univision sideline reporter would ask him a question in English. He'd answer it in English, and the reporter would translate it on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how you do it in these situations. Uh, Fox wasn't prepared for this. And then it also gave Gio, who, again, Again, I have a lot of time for, um, but it gave Gio an opportunity to, to rip the officials, <laughs> which I thought was kind of amusing. But um, yeah, but I yeah. think it was done because they didn't have anyone who could who could translate on the spot or at least give 
Tata Martino, who knows some English, Joseph Martinez, who knows some English, some sort of comfort with the – was Martinez the MVP? I, I don't even know, I guess. Or maybe it was Almarone. I think so. I'm, I'm not sure because actually once the game was done, I was, I was done. I was, I was okay, yeah. like, switch off the broadcast and, and move on. So I, I'm not sure. But, uh, but, but that's the other thing, though, too, with this Kartik, too, is that um, – why didn't Fox, who had the English language rights to the River Boca Copa Libertadores final, why didn't they show it on English language television? Because actually on Twitter, I think a couple of people have tweeted me and said, okay, well, right now on the Fox's, uh, I mean, FS1, I think it had a rerun. FS2 had something, I mean, I don't know, some, some other game. They, they could have easily put it on. And the thing is, I think that they don't, they don't have the talent for it. Because I was thinking to myself, okay, if it was in English... If they did show the game in, the, in English language commentary, who would they have among their staff that actually could commentate this game that, were, that would know about the history of River, River Boca, that would know the pronunciations of the players' names, that would be able to do the research to actually put in to, to commentate this game? And on Twitter, I posted, I said, my dream team would be Max Bredos on, on, on a temporary loan from ESPN to Fox and Ian Joy. And I could see Ian Joy give him a couple of days kind of just to, to get fre- uh, freshen up on on the uh, the teams and and who was going to be starting to play i could see him given an expert level of, of uh co-commentary keith costigan i could see keith doing it too i mean so that's the thing that um i they don't have that talent readily available to step in to do that and, and that's a huge miss because we could have watched this game in the english language the river boca game and it would have been incredible imagine if you had max Bredos commentating that that would have been amazing Max would have been my choice to commentate on it. But again, uh, Fox doesn't have him anymore, and I, I guess they don't have anyone to step up. Or maybe they just see this as a very ethnic property and they, they, they have no interest in showing it in English. Yeah, it seems to be that way. It seems to be that uh, it's very much, I mean, the last year or two, and I've, I've been meaning to write an article about this, it has become very, very MLS-centric and U.S. soccer-centric, whether it's the women's team or, or the men's team. And they really seem to have kind of, you mean, not not put much of a focus on the other leagues and not put as much effort into those other leagues to promote them uh, and to give them the, 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 uh, the respect that they deserve. And uh, maybe they're just saying, okay, well, we'll just let, we'll go through these right cycles. And once it's over, it's over. And then we'll move on and we'll, we'll focus more and more on MLS and, uh, and uh, U.S. soccer. Let me backtrack for a minute. I'm sorry. I should have mentioned this in, in the what we watched this week. So there were two tactical segments with Tim Howard and Moa Du uh, in, pre- in pre-match coverage this week on TNT, which we never saw anything like this in what was it, the nine years Fox covered the Champions League, where uh, Tim Howard is in front of a board. You know, it's something that they've, they've taken from NBC and they've taken from Sky Sports. It's not like it's a, an original creation, but, you know, kind of just showing how a match would play out tactically in the shape of the teams. Um, Leading into a, a match that they were broadcasting, right? Well, uh, this is well, you, sort of you would have seen you would have seen Lallis and, and Warren Barton doing it. I mean, and, and you probably missed a lot of the pregame coverage for for a long time. I had to watch this thing week in week out during the Champions League on Fox. But Warren Barton and and Lallis would have gone up to the big TV screen and would have said, "Okay, here's who's starting." And but they wouldn't have gone into in depth, more in depth in terms of Tim Howard did great. I thought Tim Howard was really really good in terms of the tactical analysis. Mo was much better. Too. Who, they've come a long way, both of them, in, in a very short amount of time. But um, Warren Barton, that's probably the first time I've thought or, or, or said his name in, in what, months? It's, uh, I, I'm sorry, Warden, Warren, but I, I don't miss you. He, he was doing uh, one of the Bayern games recently, so he's still around. Oh, he's he, still around, definitely. But 
Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Christopher Day says, Hey, Christopher and Kartik, I enjoy the podcast. Keep up the great work. Wondering if you could shed some light on why the League MX playoffs don't, uh, don't seem to be on FS1 or FS2, even the replays. I keep only seeing the matches for Monterey and Fox Deporters, which I don't get. It seemed like Fox made such a big deal about getting the rights, but have uh, been very inconsistent on when they are showing English language broadcast. Maybe I'm missing something, but the promotion and updated TV listings on my cable programming guide seem to be lacking from Fox. Unfortunately, I don't have the option to cut the cord, as the only internet service provider in our neighborhood is the cable company, and we were roped in with a triple play deal. So much, so things like Fubo, unfortunately, are not on the not not an option for me unless I want to pay even more each month. And that's that's a fair point from Christopher Day there too, is that uh, even the Liga MX games I mean, just talking about a minute ago about how Fox has kind of seemed to really not focus on any of the the ethnic leagues. Fox supporters, of course, was showing the Monterey games um, on the semifinal. But as far as I know, FS1 didn't show the game, which is really strange. They have the rights to it. I mean, Monterey has a big following. It just not just doesn't make any sense. It's just um, it's just way lower down in, in, in their priority list, unfortunately. Rittick says, uh, do you guys know why Fox sh- stopped showing Bundesliga games on their main channel? Uh, they've shown Dortmund Bayern games in previous seasons, but not the one a few weeks ago. It would have been the perfect opportunity to attract a larger audience to the Bundesliga. I also remembering, remember watching a Stuttgart uh, Hanover game on Big Fox a few seasons ago, so they did not feature the, book, the big Bundesliga games, cl- the clubs only. Thank you. That weekend, Kartik was a weekend uh, when it was the Dortmund uh, Bayern game. It was a weekend when there was college football on on FS1, and um, so they think the game was on FS2, which most Correct. people don't get. Uh, and again, too, Fox hasn't been showing as many games on their, their over their, their network for the Bundesliga. No. And, and again, we don't know why. We can only assume that it's just not a priority for them anymore. Tim Keane says, I thought I would just add a couple of comments to the fan fest. Um, as much as Rebecca Lowe tries to talk it up, 2,000 people in New York is a pretty poor turnout, and I find the whole thing distracting as the analysis and comments go out the window as we have to hear from fans shouting and screaming and trying to get in the camera uh, behind the presenters. As always, it's East Coast-centric, and if you didn't know anything about the Premier League, you would think there were only a few teams involved rather than 20. You have been discussing supporting your local team over the last few weeks, but here again we see that anyone who doesn't support the big teams is essentially frozen out. To me, it's a bust, and perhaps I'm just a curmudgeonly Watford supporter. <laughs> um, and and yeah, the, the the fans behind the presenters making funny faces, uh, the guy with a tongue back and forth, and screaming and shouting. As far as analysis, you're, you're not going to get an analysis. Even with Alan Shearer there and getting even talking to him, you're not going to be hearing much of it. Um, it's like a party atmosphere, and, and it is what it is. 2,000 people, I mean, the, the actual place that they had it in was filled to capacity, uh, and it was their largest uh, fan fest that they've had to date. Um, maybe next time they'll open up and have it in a bigger venue. I, I've hinted to them, too. I've said in the past before, it would be great if you guys actually came out uh, instead of doing it in New York and Washington, D.C., but maybe Miami, maybe the Midwest. 
uh, but I think a lot of it is in terms of logistics. It's uh, it costs a lot of money to go on the road, uh, but also in terms of time and with the Premier League weekends. Um, I mean, usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. It, it's that's a lot a lot of planning to be able to do to go to say Chicago and do something there. But maybe in the future, perhaps they'll make it happen if if uh, if there's enough uh, support. I, I want to address the um, the. Um analysis point because i think that is so important that's part of the reason i I don't bother with these fan fests um, and don't like them is that there's no analysis that weekend so if you left one of uh the comment uh the one of the analysts back in stanford maybe uh and you and you and you have a remote you know you 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 throw it to them maybe it would be a little better i don't know (laughs) know. to me it would be kind of sad though it'd be like i don't know carlo martino left back in stanford it looks all lonely in the studio (laughs) meanwhile everyone's having a lot of fun in in um in sunny washington dc or or wherever it may be but uh but yeah I i get your point though too yeah the analysis goes right out the window on a weekend like that last but not least uh monty reed says Love the podcast. I listen to it every week. Question, with a lot of games being postponed in France due to the protests, how does that affect the TV contracts for League 1 uh, now that uh, BN Sports have it here in, in the US and other com- uh, companies throughout the, U- the world? I assume they have clauses in the contract when you remove several matches from your programming that surely affects advertisers since the commercials are not going to be seen. I also su- assume that the same effects have uh, happened with the Copa Libertadores final. I watched the final on my local Telemundo station with four minutes to go in overtime. They cut it off and went to other programming. What? Needless to say, I was very, very frustrated. I emailed my local station and messaged them on Facebook. Oh, my wow. God. Wow. Oh, I can't Thankfully, believe it that didn't it happen here because I was watching on Telemundo as well. I was watching on Fubo, um, the Fox supporters feed. But, uh, and, and, and I looked at the Telemundo feed every once in a while, too, to, to see how that was going with Andres Cantor. Um, as far as Monty's question, um, in terms of the TV contracts, I mean, these, these games will be played. So, uh, yes, for, the, for BN Sports or for Liga, it's, 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 it's a huge hit. I mean, it's, it's now two weeks of, uh, without any major games being played um, in France. Sporadically, there's been some games played. Um, fortunately, I guess, in a way, for BN Sports, I mean, Liga is not a big player, so it's not going to have as much of a damaging effect. Uh, but these games will be played. So even though they, they didn't watch, they weren't played last week or, or the week before, they will be played at some point. So in terms of viewership, in terms of advertisers, th- those um, agreements will be fulfilled. It's just uh, it's some of these things that League Earn has no control over in terms of things happening, like like protests and, and uh, shutting shutting down cities to, to kind of deal with this. So um, so that, that answered that question. And uh, yeah, the Copa Lib- the Lib final. Well, the Copa Lib final, the the game that was played on the actually the game that was postponed on the Sunday, I believe it was uh, when they had the second leg. No, actually, no, Saturday. The first time the game was postponed when they had the 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 the, uh, the bus was all smashed up. That one had actually big ratings. That one had more viewership for that game than the MLS game on the FS1 on the Sunday, which was I think a playoff game. So, um, so, so actually, for the Copa Lib, for say Fox Deportes, they got more bang for the buck out of that one because they actually had tried to broadcast a game three times. Two of those times, the game wasn't shown, but they still had the viewers tuning in to watch the game and still had some big numbers to share uh, that they could go back to their advertisers and say, "Hey, look how many people were watching this game, even though it was, it was cancelled uh, or postponed." And then the third time. 
then you mean they get to show the game and the, the ratings were great so uh yeah there you go all right so uh listeners if you do want to reach us and uh if you have any comments about any soccer games you've watched or would like some advice or want to rant and rave or agree or disagree with anything we've said you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on twitter at worldsoccertalk plus of course you can always reach us through the comments section on worldsoccertalk.com so thank you for listening you can get uh, a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday every episode is released on SoundCloud YouTube Stitcher TuneIn um, tune iTunes Audioboom and worldsoccertalk.com if, if you like the show share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes and heading into another big week of football from around the world enjoy your football Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com.